the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we uh, roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is, uh, well, she has uh, written over 30 books of fiction and nonfiction. She writes romance for HarperCollins as well. But her uh, most recent book, I think it's her most recent book, um, deals with something a little bit more personal to her. The book is called Nick's New Heart, 30 Years in Counting by Susan May, who joins me by phone. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. Um, is the book out yet, or did I read it's it, coming out? <laughs> yeah, it is coming out this next Sunday, March the 21st. Gotcha. And the reason it's coming out on a Sunday, and specifically that day, is because that is Nick's 30th anniversary of his heart transplant. Wow. Now, for the the name of the book is Nick's New Heart, 30 Years and Counting. Um, but what's remarkable about this story, Susan, um, is that... Uh, he not only that he's lived for thirty years with a heart transplant, but he was only one when he got it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> he was he was born with um, a a bad heart. Had his first heart surgery when he was five days old. Another at uh -huh. three and a half months, and spent um, six weeks on a respirator in an ICU for that that trip and. Then when he was a year old, he had another heart uh, surgery, and then he was transplanted just before he turned two years old, and he is currently 31 years old. 
And this is remarkable on two different fronts. One, that he got a heart transplant at such a young age, but then also that he's lived so long with a heart transplant. Um, it's 30 years is a long time with a, I, I, with a I, replacement I, with, part for anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and the older I get, the shorter it seems. But yes, <laughs> thirty years is really remarkable. There's only um, four people ahead of him, and there's only one pediatric. So that means somebody under the age of eighteen that has ever lived um, longer than Nick with um, a heart transplant. And um, yeah, it's really impressive. The average. Um, Time is usually ten years after you've been transplanted, ten to twelve years. Was this so, a t- was this a tough book to write, Susan? Ooh, yes. And I thought that it would not be that hard. And by the time I got to the end of it, I thought, "Ooh, why did these parents put this poor child through this?" But <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I just. You know, as life goes on, you you kind of forget those bumpy roads and and those uh, and um, you get down to living and that sort of thing. But um, all compiled into uh, a few pages of a book, um, it's quite overwhelming. Um, it's hard for me to uh, autograph a book and and give it to the person and say enjoy this book because I'm not sure it um, enjoy is exactly the word but it is inspirational there you go and 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 it is positive i'm a, my my whole family was at my house for birthdays yesterday and you know we're all intact um every seat's filled and we're not missing anybody and that's a really that's a good thing to be able to say susan yeah because for a lot of people this year, that's that's not the case. Um, when you, I, I'm curious, what what triggered your decision to write this book? And I'm sure, as many books as you've written, at first you thought, "Wow, this is just another book." But um, but once you started getting into it. I would think that you would uh, have relived some some really terrifying moments. Oh, most certainly, and I, I, I and well, this is the truth. That it sounds like I'm uh, kind of beating my own drum for my own self. But when Nick was uh, born, there was just these these children with his type of birth defect. The parents were told to take them home and 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 keep them comfortable and let them die. I mean, there just wasn't that many of them around, and um, I wanted to write something that would help in inspire other families, not only with uh, children with uh, heart problems, but just chronically ill, you know, children to begin with. But not only that is is to uh, show how a family survived and found laughter and love and and um, and the goodness in life, despite the fact that uh, not all of it had gone the way they wanted it to. And so um, I, I like to think I'm doing a kindness. How about that? 
um, it, despite the fact that it was hard to read. But I also keep in mind my um, my children have all grown up, including Nick, with knowing that they had a you know uh, a brother that was sick, but um, they don't remember all of this because Nick was so young and they were too. So it's been a real learning experience for them to read the book as well. You know, I, I can't help wondering, and I, I don't mean to be de- uh, indelicate, but um, donors are tough to find in any day and age, but this was 30 years ago, and an infant. Where do you find a baby heart donor? Well, that they are few, uh, few and far between today as well as they were then, but a child can take a heart from somebody um, that's um, older or younger than them, mm. as long as the heart fits in the chest cavity. So Nick got a heart from a healthy three-year-old, and um, his the heart would fit into his um, his chest. And also, it's based on your blood type. So um, the the ch- chances, depending on. Um, Nick is AB positive, which puts him in a fairly um, rare blood type. So um, as long as something a heart becomes available from somebody um, close enough within a four-hour period, uh, he could get the heart. But now a, an adult doesn't have that benefit. An adult has to get a heart from somebody that's 20 pounds above or below them in weight. And um, we were fortunate. Uh, it is it is more difficult for adults to get hearts because the pool is bigger. Um, from 18 to you know, and now I think they're doing it to 70 years old. Uh, it those are harder because you can, you know, an 18 year old can donate to you know a 60 year old as well as to a 21 year old. But um, children have have to be, you know, the right size, so to speak. Right. Did all of that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it yeah. does make sense. Um, whose idea was it to um, to try to do a transplant? I mean, that wouldn't have been the, the, the go-to decision. No, it wasn't, and it, it certainly wasn't the go-to decision for, for uh, uh, my husband and I. We had always thought a heart transplant might be a backup plan. We had seen the children who had had um, heart transplant. They, you know, they'd been in patients in the hospital when when Nick was there. We'd seen them at parties and those kind of things. And I knew they did well. But when you've got a um, a uh, one year old and you think about a heart transplant and the and they're maybe going to live ten years, that's not that's not a long time. For you know, certainly for parents, and the um, we also felt like it would be our backup plan if Nick would live to be uh, twenty with his own original heart, and then have a heart transplant and live to be forty. That that'd be much better, and, and so that wasn't what we had in mind. But um, Dr. Kirk Canner, who was Nick's heart surgeon, and he 
came to us and said, you know, asked me how how do you feel about a heart transplant? And I told him, I said, well, I think they're nice things, you know, if you need one. Not thinking he was asking me about <laughs> me. <laughs> Not, and, not, not, yeah. not realizing he was suggesting that as a yeah, decision exactly. to make. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I'm just not bright enough to catch on or I didn't want to catch on, but um, he felt like he said, I think we need to consider one, and uh, we, um, we talked about it with him and Nick's cardiologist, and they left that decision up to, to my husband and I, and I, you know, which... Which is a nice idea, but I mean, you know, we didn't know what what the right decision was on that. But Nick had to have an antibodies test, and um, that's the part of your body that fights off infection and sure. and fights off the the organ. So we um, he went down for antibodies test, and if you've had blood a lot, blood transfusions, you tend to develop antibodies. Well, good night, Nick had had. Oh, hundreds by that time. And um, we just never dreamed it would come back, that he had no antibodies, but it did. So I re-asked Dr. Canner again. I said, what do you think we need to do? He said, I think we need to transplant. And it turned out it's truly the right decision. And and even after that, um, we went to look at Nick's, uh, original heart and the pathologist told us he said there's no way he would have survived another surgery so um, the transplant truly was uh, the the right way to go and obviously after 30 years we think it is so um, but he's done he's done exceptionally well he truly has was there a, a- a long recuperation time after the surgery? Actually, not very long. Um, uh, maybe, you know, the six weeks that, that his chest had to heal up. And um, he'd been through so many other surgeries and and uh, and issues before he even got the transplant. But, you know, if you're young, you bounce back a whole lot faster than if you're an adult. And, you know... Children don't pause long enough to whine like adults do. And <laughs> so, you know, and he, ha- he has um, two older brothers and an older sister, and he wasn't going to be left behind. So um, that, ha- you know, that helped uh, because he had somebody to model after and, and to keep up with. But um, now the, the year after transplant is pretty intense not so much the recovery part but you you have to go in and have biopsies and that sort of stuff susan i want to talk to you some more about the post-operative period and about nick growing up um but i have a break to do here can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more yeah great my guest is susan may the name of the book is nick's new heart 30 years and counting and it means exactly what it says. And I mean exactly what I say when I say we're going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll be right back. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a 
magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show and welcome back uh, everybody we're talking about a new book that uh comes out this month called Nick's New Heart, 30 Years in Counting, written by award-winning author Susan May, who joins me by phone. Susan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, recovery time after um, your son Nick had a heart transplant. He was under two years of age when he had the transplant. He's had it uh, for, for 30 years. And um, I mentioned that I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the post-operative period, how much healing time, and did having a, a, um, a replacement heart, if you will, cause him to hold back in any way growing up or did he run and jump and play and fall down and skin his knees like every other kid uh well uh the the short answer to that last one part is yes um um, yes (laughs) but um uh going back to the post-operative uh after the first year after a, a heart transplant is very intense and um you have to go in for a heart biopsy, which they go in and, and take off um, five little pieces of the heart. Um, they go into the heart now. So it's like a heart catheterization sort of procedure. And they look for rejection. And the, the idea is to prevent acute rejection as quickly as it starts. And um, Nick went. We went every week for the first month, then out uh, to once a month, out to three months, then six months, and then out to a year. Now, if you have rejection any time during that, those periods, then you kind of start to cycle over again. So um, Nick was really fortunate, never had any rejection at all um, that first year, and um, he grew and got stronger. He didn't weigh but 19 pounds when he had um, his heart transplant. He was he was um, below, well below the fifth, fifth percentile in height um, and weight. He was a tiny baby and he, he immediately grew and there was an immediate difference with him having a heart transplant. And um, he did, he continued to do very well he started school with the rest of my children when it was time to go to kindergarten at rode the bus and um he he progressed just pretty much like everybody everybody else um because he had been on a respirator for so long he it's affected his vocal cords and the one thing that i could found um i uh was that he was hanging on the uh, uh playground thing in our backyard and he couldn't scream to tell me that he could that he was stuck and he was just hanging out there in the middle and I had to run and grab him and I just happened to look at him but um he played tennis in high school on the on the 
high school team. He could not play football. They didn't want him taking any hits to the chest. So, um, and he loved sports. So he compensated by being a manager for the football team, and um, and participated where he uh, where he could. He water skis and snow skis, and um, pretty much has done. Um, other than the football, anything he wants. He does not like to run, uh, but um, I think he's kin to me. And also he has um, some um, has had some lung damage from that long stay on the respirator. But mm. overall, he's been pretty much a regular kid or, and, a, and an adult now. <laughs> now, what happens in a case where... Um, I'm not even sure what the terminology is, Susan. If um, you know, if if a heart, a, a transplanted heart expires, you know, if it goes past its use-by date, um, is there a use-by date, or is this just uncharted territory? You don't know how long he'll live with this heart, and can he be transplanted again? Um, the there is no used by date. Um, the the thing that we look for uh, and the doctors look for now is called chronic rejection, which is hardening of the arteries. It's uh, you know it's the what we always thought of as the old man's disease, where you stop getting the um, good blood flow to your to the muscle of the heart. Well, thought and to be plaque building up over years. Exactly. Yes, yeah. and. For some reason, um, I transplanted heart, that's accelerated in. And so um, Nick has had a few stents in the last um, three or four years because of that. So we're starting to see some signs of that. Now, that uh, I, from what I take from uh, the doctor, when you say When you say he's had stents, in his heart or in uh, the vascular system, legs and arms and so on? Okay, uh, the, um, on the outside of his heart. We're talking about the vessels on the outside of his heart okay. that, that feed the muscle of his heart. And he's had some stents there because they um, they have, you know, were closing up. And um, I asked how many stents he could have, and uh, the doctors, well, any number of them. Um, you know, that they put them in all the time every day. And um, I, I will... So, um, if Nick's been doing well, he eats well, he looks well, he's active. He is um, he's coming up on ten years of a, uh, being an employee at Walmart, and um, he has a, a fairly active job at work. And um, so, uh, all signs say that he's doing well, and they they don't know how long um, this will last. I do not know. Um, once again, being retransplanted, that would be the ideal thing. But um, I don't know if he's developed any of those antibodies over the last 30 years. Um, the likelihood is that may have gone up. But uh, medicine has improved in 30 years. And um, also, is he's got to compete you know, in that larger pool of adults for a heart transplant. Um, certainly, um, 
you know, when there's not enough organs to go around. So um, right now I try not to think about that bridge until I have to cross it or get ready to cross it. But um, all in all, when he goes to um, transplant clinic and there'll be uh, an older gentleman there, you know, that's 65 or so and says, uh, you know, and Nick is, Nick is always the youngest in a group. Hmm. And uh, they'll say, well, how long have you been transplanted? And Nick will go, <laughs> is it 28 years or, you know, whatever it is. And they all, you know, they almost quit talking to him because, you know, they've had it. They've had their heart two or three years. And so, you know, they're going, oh, my goodness. But you I know. would think that would make people people who had uh, transplanted hearts feel good about their own prognosis and the, the possibility that they'll be around for a long time. It does. It does. But, they, but you know, they're thinking, they're kind of something, you can tell by the way they ask it, they're kind of something their chest about how well they're doing. And then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's sort of, it's a, you know, it's, you know, my, my, my story's better than your story kind of thing. Oh, no. And, <laughs> but and uh, so they're they're always you know they're always floored. But Nick's um, especially in the adult hospital uh, when it, the few times he's had to be uh, in the adult hospital, you go in and he is uh, he's forty years younger than most of them, you know, uh, or and um, the even the even Nick's doctors, a lot of them I've been. Uh, dealing with his heart, Nick's heart problem longer than they've been. Uh, you know, they've been cardiologists dealing with it because you know they're they're young. You know, some of them are younger doctors and haven't been <laughs> he's, uh, dealing with heart transplants that long. He's you know? had his transplant longer than some of them have uh, been doctors. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, some of them a lot longer than they've been doctors. <laughs> <laughs> they get you know, younger every year, don't they, Susan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They <laughs> yeah. And you know, and they they all look at me and go, you know, when I ask a question, it's because they're I think they're not used to the family being as well versed in it. And I mean, you know, it's it's been my life for thirty years. Thankfully, he has a good wife. She's taken over most of that, but. Um, but you know, still, I'm the I'm the walk in history. Has, uh, Susan, has there been any? Uh, uh, would Nick be considered um, at risk in all of this uh, uh, pandemic uh, concerns that that people have about people with pre-existing conditions? Yes, and initially when it it started this time last year. I was uh, wound up, uh, to say the least, and um, because I thought, especially since he has one lung that's not um, as perfect as it should be, I was afraid, you know, if he goes in the hospital, he's going to have to have a respirator, and there's not enough respirators, and, and so on and so forth. And he Walmart allowed him to stay out of work for a while, and then he went back, you know, with all the protocols, and thankfully, he works in the, um, what they call it, the fresh department, the where the vegetables and meats are. Yeah. And um, he's in and out of the cooler and in and out of the back end. 
so he's not around a lot of pe you know people right like he would be if he was running the you know overseeing the cash registers but um so I felt better about that plus he works odd to hours like you know four o'clock in the morning and gets off at eleven so he didn't see the crowd of people he would have normally but so that was a little better and then as things went on I I I mellowed a little bit, and I said, you know, <laughs> I, I, see, I, ra- I raised him um, to, I, I, my husband, my husband reminds me, Nick belongs to him, too. My husband and I uh, <laughs> raised him to, um, we wanted quality of life and wanted him to live life, and hiding out in your house, and hiding out and not living is is not what I wanted for him and um we you know we all understand the the pandemic and all but I finally had to that kind of go more like well we're gonna have to take what comes and then deal with it that I can't I didn't put him in a bubble when he was a baby he didn't need to be in a bubble when he's an adult either and uh but but not be irresponsible. Right, but right. He has gotten the, the vaccine and um, just in the last six weeks and is um, doing really doing really well. Well, that's that's great news. But speaking of the pandemic, you, I, I mentioned earlier, Susan, that, that you've um, written over 30 books. So you've been through publishing a book and the book business and book signings and you know, public appearances and readings and so on. Um, was it kind of different having a book come out during the the pandemic? Um, well, you know, everything is so much online now, and uh, it it doesn't. If you're on Amazon, you're out there almost, and Barnes and Noble and all. But um, I worried about that if somebody would be interested in this type of the book in the middle of pandemic but i think it's um it's an inspirational book and it needs to be told and um encourage people that you can survive even during a pandemic <laughs> i wonder if there's a guinness book category for 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 living so long with a with a transplanted heart I, I don't <laughs> I don't think so. I um, Nick's goal is to uh, be in the Guinness World Book of Records for the longest living. Well, that's and, that's what I'm saying. I wonder if that's a category or, or one that might that he might actually uh, inaugurate. I I would like to think so. And actually, I want him to live for a long, long time. I told him that I don't mind uh, when he dies, just as long as it's after me. And I'm gonna live. To <laughs> I'm going to be a, live to be 110, so, you know, um, but it, um, it's, there, there are very few books um, written about heart transplant um, in general and certainly in children, and, um, and, mine is, and mine is one of them, and I, I'm very proud of it, and I'm, I'm very proud of him and um, his success. And uh, his success comes from a lot of different areas, from uh, excellent doctors and 
he's had I, he's had parents that have uh, pushed him and done and and I'm a rule follower and so if the doctor said do it this would make it better and then I did it and I took him to the doctor when I was told to show up with him and um, and I taught Nick to do the same so um, and and like I said he has an excellent wife who makes him makes him do the things he should do as well so I, it's a team there's no there's no doubt about it you I don't see how you do it if you don't have a supportive team all in a lot of areas are, are, are some of those rules um, food related things he can I, and can't have I, he's supposed to be very light on the salt and you know it's it's pretty much a heart smart um, diet. Um, he has not had to do too much with that um, since he was a baby until recently. And because of the stent, they have him on a low cholesterol, mm. you know, much more conscious of his diet because he was so, um, he was underweight uh, for so long. And, um, that you know he just you know if you can just get him to eat anything but now um as most of us with become adulthood it catches up with us somewhere along the line <laughs> and uh, that's true <laughs> and his and his is starting to catch up with him so um he is a, a little more restrictive diet but um not not horribly so and um you know they encourage exercise and that sort of thing Susan, you've written other nonfiction books, but I would imagine that research is a big part of it. Um, did you have to do a lot of research for this book, or had you done the lion's share of the uh, research just with you and your husband and Nick living through it? Most of it was living through it, and um, I've been on different committees. Um, nationwide committees that have to do talking about congenital heart disease and I also served on the United Network uh, for Organ Sharing which is the organization that um, that's where a lot where organs go and um, you know you I, I listen to things that are said and, and uh, that kind of thing and um, I I'm not really a very good Googler on stuff like that. I'm very uh, much uh, get my information from the doctors and the nurses um, on what I want to know because I want not a generalized um, thing, but uh, whatever's specific to Nick. But um, it's... Uh, I enjoy doing research, but sometimes you, if you're the parent of the patient, sometimes you don't want to know everything. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> oh, that's... Is more. <laughs> um, does uh, does Nick have a, a lot of doctors? Does he have to see doctors fairly frequently, specialists and stuff? Um, uh, every six months, he that's sees not bad. his. Uh, no, 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 and that and that's really quite good. Um, and probably that's the best it will ever be. 
you know, obviously more frequently if there's if there's a problem, but um, he, um, yeah, and I, I, he has a pass a lot of them to say if he ever has a hospital visit, but as a, <laughs> as a general rule, there's just one, and um, and there's all that one runs the show for everybody else, you know, that she's the she's the go-to, she's the one that everybody reports to, you know, kind of, kind of doctor. So, um, and he's always had that one person, you know, that, that he turns to and, and I turn to, and they're really good. Now, um, Nick takes care of himself and his wife helps and all of that sort of stuff, but, um, they're really good to include me, um, and certainly his wife is, when they go for a visit, um, they the when the doctor comes in, instead of having to relay second and third hand what's going on or ask the questions that I would have, um, you know, with technology, they put me on speakerphone, and I get to hear things firsthand. So, um, you know, that that's really nice. That is nice. Was um, was expense a real concern for you and your husband thirty years ago? Ooh, yeah. We had, we had four children. If Nick had born, been born three weeks earlier, we would have had four children under the age of four. I mean, we were. Wow. Oh yeah, <laughs> we were a young family, and and then we have this ch- kid who got this horrible uh, heart birth defect, and and. Uh, Thankfully, they could handle it at, uh, in Atlanta instead of us having to, um, you know, fly at the time would have been Cincinnati or, or New York. And um, But, uh, yes, it was a big concern. And uh, there was a time when I made monthly payments to the hospital, you know, just to... Yeah. And, I'd make those month. I will. I'd make those monthly payments, and in between there, Nick would have gone in to the hospital and um, had an inpatient bill twice during that month. So you know, it was always this. I spent hours on doing nothing but trying to take care of paying hospital bills. And uh, when they say, "Do you have a million dollar child?" I do. <laughs> do you, I hope you talk about that part in the book. Yeah, I do. I do. Well, that's good. I do. And, well, and, and, and when he went to work, it was important for him to work for a company um, that he would be absorbed into their insurance. So made a uh, difference. That, that, that does help. Um, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, Susan, and, and we are out of time. But I always give uh, guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Obviously, the book, when it... Uh, when it comes out, Nick's New Heart, 30 Years and Counting, is a great place to start. But do you have a website where people can uh, find out more about you and about Nick and about your work, past, present, and future? <laughs> yes, you can go to uh, susancmay.com, uh, which is the website. And you can also Google uh, Nick's New Heart, and that will come up on uh, to that website. And um, and I write romance under Susan Carlisle, and um, I have a website for it as, as well. And, um, you know, we write what we know. My first book uh, 12, 13 years ago um, 
was about a little boy who needed a heart transplant. So. <laughs> well, Susan, <laughs> thank you. It's been great. Thank Hello there, citizens. Dark here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Now, I uh, tell you this this story. This is a game that we played when we were when we were kids, and it's called Buck Buck. We played it in Philadelphia. Buck Buck. Now, you people out here in the West Coast probably know nothing about it. Uh, in New York, it's called Johnny on the Pony and other things. It's where f- uh, five kids line up, you see, and they bend over. They're in a straight line. They bend over, and one kid grabs a fence or a wall or a pole, holds on to that. The next kid puts his right arm around his waist, you see, bends over, tucks his head under, and you got five guys lined up exactly like that. <laughs> so they all look like a long horse. Now, the object of the game is that one at a time, one by one, kids come running up, and they say... Buck, buck, number one, come in. They run up, leap in the air, and they land on the horse. And they keep going, bam, 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 until they collapse the horse, you see. Now, that's the object of the game. Then you count how many kids you held, and you, you go back and forth, you see. Now, we had the champion buck, buck team of the world. When I tell you we played buck, buck, there was nobody that whipped us anywhere, man. And you can tell kids that play a lot of buck, buck, because they're built like this, you see. And their legs are only four inches long. That's all they have, because they've been crushed so much. <laughs> so we're around there practicing. Buck, buck, number five! <laughs> Land on each other. Some kids come down from the rough part of town, and they're really tough, man. They got toothpicks on the side of the mouth, and a hat on sideways, and they got their pants on backwards, you know, <laughs> just rebelling against everything, you know. And it's... Listen, we're here. You're supposed to be so tough. We challenge you to the Buck Buck Championship of the World. So we said, all right. So I line up, turkeys. So we line up, five of us. Whack. They start sending kids down. Buck Buck number one, come in. <laughs> they feel pretty heavy, man. We check them out. Guys have rocks in their pockets to make them way heavier, you know. And Buck Buck number two. <laughs> now they get up to 300 and it's really heavy. Buck Buck 300, come in. <laughs> Now they're on top of us, piled all the way up to the sky, and they're rocking back and forth. Hold on, Harold, I can't do it no more, guys. Come on, hold on, buck, buck, 400 coming. (laughs) We collapsed. All right, how many did you hold? We held 400 of your guys. Well, that was pretty good, but we usually hold around 600. All right, we line up. They line up. Send the first kid down, old weird Harold. All right, Harold. Buck, buck, number one, come in. These guys are really cool. What was that? A mosquito? <laughs> you guys don't have no weight. Come on, let's go. Buck, buck, number two, come in. I landed. A piece of paper. Somebody threw a piece of paper on top of me. Buck, buck, number three. That was nothing. Four, five, we got the championship. All right, bring out your last man, you turkeys. Come on, bring him out. Come on out. Fat Albert. 
Fat Albert was the baddest buck buck breaker in the world. And he loved to hear us call his name. Fat Albert weighed 2,000 pounds. And he kicked the door to his house open. And you could hear him say, hey, hey. We built a little ramp for him to walk down so he could build up speed because he couldn't hardly run fast. And he was coming, hey, hey. And the ground's trembling. Trees falling over. Buildings losing pieces of brick. Parents taking kids off the street. And these guys are the What's the ground doing? Shake it, man. How come the ground shaking? So that's Fat Albert coming for you. Hey! And he turned the corner. They saw one leg. What is that? So that's Fat Albert. Hey! And they stood up. We give. He ain't falling on us. Now, I told you that story to tell you this one. Now. Guys, guys in my neighborhood went to great lengths to scare anybody. Because it's a great thing when you scare somebody. They lose their cool completely. That's the only time when a human being is really himself. I mean, because if you scare somebody good, they just, the legs shoot out, the hair stands up, the eyes bug out, and they say, blah, blah. Yeah, see? And then you laugh. Ah, 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 that was really funny, man. You got so scared. Ah, ah, ah. So, guys found this statue. Stole it, really. A statue of Frankenstein, five feet, eight inches tall, in color of the monster. Frankenstein monster. Ooh. They take it home. There's only three of them. Take it home. They take it into an apartment building put it up on the third floor landing, you see. Now they take out all the lights in the hallway, put in a pink one right by the monster statue. One kid gets behind it. They send another one out in the street. He calls a kid. They come running up. He passes the kid with the statue, taps him. Kid with the statue leans it. Kid that doesn't know anything about it turns around and kills himself running out of the building. You see, this is called fun. Of course, then you laugh at the guy. Boy, you were really scared, Red. You fell 12 flights of stairs. That was really funny. <laughs> so, I'm coming home from the store about 8 30. No, I always have my music with me. I always have to hum my music because monsters cannot attack you if you have your music with you. See? Hey, cops! What? Come on over, man. You should see it. Herman's getting a beating. Let's go watch it. Herman? Yeah, I love to see Herman getting a beating. And I jump, man. I and I'm chasing after this guy. I can't wait, man, to see Herman get the beat because I don't like Herman anyway. Blah, 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 blah. And he goes up the second flight and says, wait for me, man, wait for me. Don't go so fast. Blah, 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 blah. And he makes that turn around the third, and I make the turn, the guy takes a step. <laughs> I never touched one step. <laughs> Ran two miles before I realized what had happened. When I turned around, they were right behind me laughing. <laughs> Funny man, God rolling, kicking the feet up in the air on the back. It was really funny, boy. You were really cool, man. You just lost everything as well. Your hair was standing up and everything. It, was... it ain't funny, man. 
you can kill somebody like that. Suppose somebody would look at that statue and their heart just stopped pumping right away, or the guy would have just fallen down some stairs and hurt himself. That ain't funny. Yeah, but God, you just see yourself. It was really funny, man. You just went, true, didn't even touch one step, man. It's really cool, I'm telling you. <laughs> Listen, guys, now you gotta get somebody. Yeah, that's right. Get up in the hallway. Get the statues up. Come on, we're gonna get somebody. I'm gonna scare somebody now, boy. It ain't gonna just be me, I tell you that. I get somebody killed around here. It'll really be funny, because when they leave that statue on there, oh, that'll be it for them. And I'm waiting outside. Is the thing up? Yeah, okay. Here we go. And wait, somebody's gotta come sooner or later. I'm gonna get somebody. And I hear off in the distance. Hey! Fat Albert. Hey! I said, hey, Fat Albert, come here, man. You should see Herman. He's getting a beating. I like to see Herman get a beating. Hey! Now, Fat Albert is not too fat, see? So I run up and I grab my arm. Come on, Albert, hurry up. And I start hitting him behind the back. Hurry up, man. Did you see it before it's over? Hey! We go up to the second flight. I start laughing because I know what it is. And turn around. Come on, Albert. We get up to the third flight and the guy's there. Oh! I forgot I was behind him. <laughs> they, uh, they took me to the hospital and they put me in a bed beside a wino who was run over by two kids. And we both agreed that uh, frightened children are really uh, hard to get along with. I never had a guy dance on me so long. Uh, and he was so scared he couldn't even get a hey. He was and just dancing right on me forever. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docks were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation because we are asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it then we're all gonna die if we don't do it then we're all gonna die and so i hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart because it's already scary and we're only at the start if you get bored just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized oh superman transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine the last until july a superman transmittable Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. 
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 